We're 10 minutes into the recording, by the way. Oh, fuck's sake. Right, come on. Hello and welcome to the Omcast. My name is Dom. As one half of the Omcast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello there. So we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots. And we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to discuss our thoughts on the highs and lows of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history before we find out if the new one is worth seeing. This week we're talking about the 2017 film It, directed by Andy Maschetti. What was it? Maschietti. Maschietti. Andy Maschietti. Maschietti? Maschietti. Maschietti. Keep that. And starring <laughs> Bill Skarsgård, Jaden Martell and Phil Northard, to yeah. name but a few. Just some of the gang. Some of the gang. We've got the Losers Gang and we've got a new Pennywise the Clown. Yeah, we do. Which is far more palatable mm. than the actual man in frightening, horrible, terrifying makeup yeah. in an actual drain. They've just got a spooky monster now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing, isn't it? Obviously. So what we, we're now talking about, what is essentially, is often ref, you know, referred to as a remake. Mm. It's not really a remake in that it, it is its own thing. Yeah. It's a new adaptation of the same source material, the yeah. same book. So there are going to be comparisons, and we will make those comparisons between this and the nineteen ninety version of it um, that was done as a TV miniseries. We talked about last week. Yeah, it's like this sort of a newer. It's a more intelligent interpretation of the source material. Yeah, and I think that the plan. This was always a thing that they, you know, was planned to happen back, you know, for a long time. I was in development for a long time. They were always going to make a two-part adaptation yeah. of the It story in film, um, and one it was going to be um, Carrie Carrie Fukunaga. Yeah, so he was attached to the director. He's the same. He's the guy who directed a lot of episodes of True Detective, the first series. Yeah, he then went and did Beast of No Nation, and he's now making the new Bond movie. Yes, which is interesting. Um, but he was attached to the director for a really long time, um, and then like there was lots of development issues and. Part of it was like he had a very intense script by the sound of it mm-hmm. that delved into a lot more of the backstory that was in the book. Yeah. Um, some of the, you know, because there's lots of history in the book around the town of Derry and it yeah. traumatizing people and all that sort of stuff. So, one of the sort of main features of the book is that the interspersed chapters between the adulthood and childhood chapters are, um, well, they're seeded with these sort of stories about Derry. Mm. And as far back as they go, leading up to, and including sort of like, oh, this is what happened in the 1700s when yeah. it was there, and this is what happened in the 1800s, and this is what happened in the yeah. 30s, following following the war and during the Prohibition. And mm. um, so the original script was going to get into a lot more of that. Um, there was also some like initial casting that went on. So at one point, it was going to be Ben Mendelsohn was going to play um, yeah. Pennywise. Um, and that was part of what the reason that they, he fell out with the um, studio, the original director. Um, because apparently, yeah, um, Ben Mendelsohn was asking for too much money. or No, he wasn't asking for too much money. He was going to have to take a significant pay cut because they were trying right. to do it on a budget. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't prepared to do that. And then he had to go off and make Rogue One. Yeah. Um, so then they cast Will Poulter, was cast as it. As Pennywise, which is a really interesting choice. I don't know how that would have worked out. I was really on board for that because seeing him in a lot of the stuff that he did before, which was a sort of fairly straightforward slapstick, yeah, 
British comedy stuff, and then he moved into sort of American comedy. Yeah. I was... But he's always had that sort of... He's got, like, a really, really expressive face. I think I I wouldn't have been on... Like, at the time, I wouldn't have been on board with it. Now I can see it only because of Detroit. Yeah. His performance in Detroit, where he is genuinely really menacing. Because something about him that he's just, like... You think of him as, like, a sort of approachable, yeah. affable young guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the idea of him being this demonic clown, I couldn't quite... But I'm sure he would have been great. Um, but that fell through as well. The director had moved on. And they ended up getting um, this guy, uh, Andy, who I keep mispronouncing his name. Maschietti. Maschietti. Uh, Maschietti. <laughs> um, and he came on to direct and they they recast a lot of stuff. They did it, had a new version of the script mm-hmm. whereby they were just going to really slim it down. And what we ended up with was this version of the movie where it's just entirely about the kids. Yeah. And it's one half of the book in terms of just being a linear story. Yeah, that doesn't cut between different timelines or anything, and it just tells the story of this summer with these kids. But what they do do, which is great, and they do it really well, is shift the time from the book. Yes, so that was one of the things that always sort of. I was like, well, how are you going to do it? Like, is it going to have the same effect? Because I don't know. It was always like, is is sort of the the modernization of this going to take it too far? But it kind of sort of works bang on. Yeah, because they, they put, put it out at a time when like 80s nostalgia is a massive thing at the moment. And, yeah. like, and it's really like people like Finn Wolfhard has made an absolute career out of 80s nostalgia. So fair <laughs> play to him. Um, so, yeah, it's like tapping into that whole Stranger Things, yeah. like um, Spielbergian kids playing on their bikes type thing. Yeah. That was sort of coming back into um, fashion, I guess. And they put it out and they go, all right, it's set in 1989. Which means if you add the time on and realise that in 27 years' time when this happens again, we're right up onto modern day where we are now, more or less. Yeah. Well, it's because in the book it's between 27 and 30 years, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 27, 30. So, it, in the original. 30 years. 30 years, they said in the original version. There's 27 is like they talk about that in the book as the number. In this version, it's 27. But by setting it in 89, they've now sort of done a little backdoor pilot sort of thing yeah they've set it up perfectly so that when two comes out it can be contemporary yeah and it'll be great and that's the thing because one of the so one of the things that tends to lead to in fact before we get into that one so what happens in the story is that pennywise goes into sort of hibernation almost Mm. for 27 to 30 years but it's these the book explains it in more detail but it tends to be these big horrific events yeah that sort of reawaken it which mm. is why it's like not exactly 27 years and not exactly 30 years it's like these things that happen in this cycle in this awful town yeah and then but they explain like in this one they don't explain why he's there no they just sort of explain about these kids going missing and being found or kids going missing and sort of some of their stuff being found or their corpses being found but in the book they explain that there is tends to be like a singular moment yeah which that by the sounds of things they are going to do in two yeah i mean they do hint at it a little bit in this because they have the whole thing with ben talking them through the history yeah and he goes back and says well then there was the there was the explosion at the um 
Easter egg hunt at the, yeah. at the steelworks, and then there was the fire at the black spot, and all these big, like say, singular events yeah. that you can trace back. And then he's the one who then comes up with the theory that oh, it happens every twenty-seven years. Yeah. So, and he's basing that on those particular events as opposed to just a rash of disappearances or some mm-hmm. weird stuff. He just he knows that there are these standout moments yeah. throughout Derry's history where something fucking where horrific happens. Something horrible happens. Yeah. A bunch of kids go missing or are found dead. Yeah. And then it sort of drops off for a while. Yeah. But they do explain that Derry consistently has this really high rate yeah. of like murder, assault, battery, like really horrible things that happen. Yeah. And yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, it's uh, but they, they and they've yeah. layered it so finely in this as well. Like I remember you saying about Men in Black, mm. like the original and like the screenplay in that is like bulletproof. Really yeah. And it's like, I would say about the same about this. There is no, there are no wasted moments. No, it's exactly. And like, that's a prime example of it. Like giving that um, history of Derry, because what they, this is a, well, this, this is a great adaptation of the source material. And that's not to say that it's word for word, shot for shot. That doesn't make it. That's not what makes a great adaptation. No. What makes a great adaptation is taking bits of the source material and making them work for the narrative that you're trying to tell. Yeah. It's a great example of that is when Ben is in the library and he's he's looking over the history of Derry and there's the story about the ironworks explosion yeah. and all the kids dying on the Easter egg hunt and that is lifted directly from the book and even to the point where there's this horrific thing that happens where a woman found a child's head in a, in tree, a tree and they managed to take that little nugget of actual genuine like lore if you like from the mm. book and turn it into this really effective, really like harrowing scene where he's flicking through these pages of this book, and in every page, he's just getting zooming in closer and closer into these branches until you're finally just looking at his head. Yeah. And then he gets attacked by a headless the child. Specter of yeah. the headless child. It's like right, none of that, none of this happens in the book. Not no. like like that isn't what Ben sees when he sees the monster at all. But it makes perfect. It's perfectly in keeping with his character that he would be in the library reading that book yeah find out that and then how and then it makes sense that that would scare him and he would see something and it, it all fits perfectly and gives you an extra little bit of lore in the background yeah. and that's like the essence of what makes a good adaptation to me it's just like yeah so one of the things that we should like because i don't know how many readers are gonna have watched and listened to all but if you have watched this then you'll understand but if you've not, then forgive me for explaining. It's a, again, it's the same story, in essentially that these mm. kids all all rally together to to confront this monstrous clown mm. that is killing children in this town. But like you say, it's it's the way that it's done. Yeah, it's taken <clears throat> the same story and it's composed it in such a strong way. Yeah, I think like they explain stuff about that rewards the readers of the book as well. So when you say about like Mike, yeah. One of the things that Mike sees in the book is the bird. Yeah. And whilst that scene in the Chinese restaurant from the miniseries is almost Bob on, there's, it's it's not really explaining this, but what it is, is that he's haunted by the story of the accident of the black spot. Yeah. And then, but he's also haunted by the fact that he has to kill the animals and, but also, they've interspersed the story between the between the fire and the black spot and his family. Yeah, because his parents, 
his parents live in the book. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about until... Mike. That's one of the only sort of criticisms I have. I like, I really like like what I love is I feel like the these interpretations of all those characters are so spot on. Yeah, but I think Mike is the only exception. And I do feel he gets a little short change because what happens is they take all that stuff about Derry's history that was all about was Mike's thing. Yeah, he was the one with the photo album. He was the one, and his dad told him all about it. Yeah, and that was a whole thing. And they take all that and they give it to Ben instead. Yeah. And I feel like that's a bit of a shame because it just it leaves Mike with not much to do. No. And also... It leaves Mike as a victim. Yeah. And it also, yeah, they he's one of the f- earliest characters we meet, Mike, after the initial scene with um, Georgie. And he has this horrible relationship with uh, his granddad, yeah, I guess. Yeah, grandfather. And it's really nasty straight away. And what he was... He, Mike, is one of the only characters in the book who had a healthy relationship with his parents yeah like him and richie and everyone else had these horrible abusive like nasty relationships yeah. with their parents their only bright spot was that mike and his dad got on really well and he taught mm-hmm. him the right things and he he was a good dad yeah and they took that out and made him like and had him be and they just fridged him yeah and it's like eh. yeah i do kind of wish they hadn't done that yeah but yeah you can't have everything mm. and that's the thing it's is that Sort of, are they trying to weave in sort of short-term tragedy? I don't know if they're trying to make like all the like all the kids' lives are shit outside of this. Yeah. Like, I don't know. If, like, are you labouring that point too much? Because that's not. Yeah. Because, because do they, what do again, they explain about the house fire in this? The house. I can't fire. remember. The, well, the house. They fire, just say that there was a house fire that killed his parents, and that they were trying to get to him, but it was too hot. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But that's do they saying. find out how it was started? Is that what they're going to do in two? Maybe they're going to put. Somebody in there. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I think there was the... Henry Bowers makes a comment about it. Yeah. Saying the fire, and I wish I'd been there to start it. Yeah. He makes some comment about it. So I don't know if that's something they'll get into, but yeah. Um, But it is really interesting. And and again, saying about, like, the performances in the kids, like, Mike's is a little underserved. I think that it's not to do with him as an actor, though. No, because he's a great actor. I think they all are. Like, that's the, the other thing that sort of steps out for me. Like, we were talking last week about the child actors and how Seth Green turns up and suddenly has a lot more charisma and screen presence yeah. than everyone else. In this, every single one of them is a Seth Green. Yeah. And they're all absolutely nailing it. And they yeah. get it from the, from, the, from the get-go. Like, the first scene you see with them all together, or a group of them together anyway, they're coming out of... Um, school, yeah, and it's like they're, they're discussing what the bar mitzvah involves, yeah, and, and it's um, who's it? It's Eddie, Bill, and Richie, yeah, and they're just they're talking like three kids. They're excited. They're just they're t- talking over one another, and it's like immediate chemistry and immediate like, and they're all like top of their game actors, yeah. absolutely nailing it, and they're all great. Every single one of these kids is awesome. They're brilliant. Like each one stands out in their own different way, yeah, and like one of the biggest reservations and to go back to him quite quickly to go back to him Finn Wolfhard yeah one of the reservations I had was that I've seen him be an 80s kid in Stranger Things but and I was always like no they should have got someone else maybe they they because it's too close but then I watched it and I was like you know what I was wrong he was perfect he was fucking brilliant as richie told you and what i love as well richie is a great example of them modernizing it yeah because the things that he says and that and his like his language and like how sort of like the like lewd i guess for lack of yeah. a better word he is now is exactly 
what it should be given the context that this is 1989 not 1958 yeah and in one 19- of the things that i had an issue with in the book is that and i know it's like modern day wokeness in relation to sort of showing realism yeah but like one of the whole thing like the picking any situation in yeah. in the book is quite frustrating especially with the audiobook yeah because it's like ah, i'm just i'm just yeah. quite uncomfortable with that and yeah. i get that it's of the time but like you say, by modernising in this, yeah, and he's just he's gross and he's disgusting. And he mm-hmm. makes jokes about Stan's mum. No, not Stan. Sorry, Eddie's mum the whole time. And like, but that's what kids would do in '89. But they would never like prudishness or whatever would have prohibited them from doing that in the fifties. But instead, they would have been racist. They would have been. Yeah, there would have been a whole different set of moral standards. Yeah. that and that comes across in the book. Like they would never say they would never like swear in front of a girl or anything like that. Oh God, no! But I'm gonna be. I'm gonna do a like a pickaninny voice in front of this black man. That's fine. Yeah. But like, but you know, there's a weird moral standards going on in the fifties, and like by shifting it, like you say, they they made it a lot more effective. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and the, yeah, exactly, and it makes it that much more believable for them to be a group of friends, and the yeah. way they talk to one another is a lot more relatable to us and people watching the movie now. Yeah. Um, because we we've all had like conversations like that. Yeah. We always talk about one another's mums. <laughs> I was talking to your mum about it last night. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> but fuck yeah. you, trash mouth. Beat <laughs> yeah, beat Richie. Beat Richie. Beat beat motherfucker. Um, um, but yeah, like like Ben, for example. Ben's great. I love Ben. Ben's really good. Like he can, he sort of really throws himself into the performance. Mm. Um, Eddie is brilliant. Like Eddie is uh, Jack. Grazer, Jack Grazer, yeah, or yeah. Glazer, whatever his name is. Yeah, who then went on to be in um, Shazam, and he was great in that as well. Yeah, um, but fair play, this was like a, f- a few years before that. And you can obviously tell having seen it recently. Yeah, um, but he's great, and like they had this, he's got this neurotic, like hypochondriac talking a thousand miles an hour, and he's like really scared of disease and all the rest of it, which is exactly spot on for the character. Like yeah. if you've been re- if you've read the book or you've got any knowledge of it whatsoever, you know how dead on they get every single one of these guys yeah and like one of the things that i liked about stan was in the book stan is very he's very stiff Mm. and he's very almost one-dimensional and it kind of feels like he's there because of what happens at the start Mm. with what happens with stan but in this he's he's so much better Mm. he's so much he's got Again, like you say, he's got more dimensionality to him. He's got more presence. He's got more humour to him. Yeah. In the book, he's like this humourless kid that had this experience, which is quite frightening, but wasn't really as scary as everybody else's. Yeah. And he was kind of the person that sort of discovered the book weakness rather than the film weakness. And But I think it's... And the, the performance, especially at the end when they're in the sewers, yeah, with what happens to him completely sells yeah. the whole thing i think you net like each one of the kids like because quite early on they all have their their encounter with it and each one has the scene on their own with yeah. the monster of some descriptions not necessarily pennywise but so stan's one for instance is really good and that's the one where he's um in his dad's office and his dad is the rabbi yeah um and he goes into his dad's office and there's this painting that scares him. Yeah. And they do a really cool idea of having the painting come to life and this sort of CGI monster. But like that scene is fucking brilliant. There are so many amazing, like there's one shot where it's, it's like Stan's head, like haloed 
yeah with this and it's like there are so many moments like that where it's just like the cinematography on this yeah is fucking amazing and it reminds you having watched the tv miniseries last week oh, fucking hell that cinematography is the right word because this is a cinematic story that deserves yeah. to be done in cinema it shouldn't you know much as fair to everyone who was involved in the tv miniseries this deserves to be in film yeah it deserves to be on the cinema with that kind yeah. of level of cinematography and that level of filmmaking talent behind it um and they really show that off in this yeah and that's the thing like i'm sure everybody who made it tv miniseries worked hard yeah but at the same time they didn't have the same vision they no. didn't have the same creativity they didn't have the same flair that anybody involved in this had no like when we say about like muschietti for example he's only real credit before this was Mama, which was a feature-length version of a short film that he made, which was the same film. Yeah. But it's having someone with that creativity and having the studio get behind him and be like, that guy. Yeah. Because it's not exactly a high-budget movie. No, no, no. And it's two and a half hours long. Yeah. So it's astonishing that people went to see it outside of the big buzz around it of just how fucking great it was yeah i mean there was uh, it's one of those things it sort of tapped into a uh zeitgeisty thing i guess mm. didn't it though because there was the whole clown the yeah, killer fun. clown things going on um and then the, yeah it and like all the marketing was based around the clown and like and all that kind of stuff and it, it sort of tapped into that whole element of people finding clown scary um and that was the thing they put front and center deservedly so because i do think bill skarsgård's fucking brilliant he is yeah he is great and he's completely different from tim curry yeah um but and it's hard to sort of when you're comparing the two pennywises it is very difficult because don't forget the one oh god yeah <laughs> from the 1998 television series were <laughs> were which is the the direct in- <laughs> tv indian television remake make of it which is largely one of the worst things i've ever seen yeah that's that we didn't we didn't watch that in its entirety but just looked for that on youtube it's crazy um yeah but yeah um because pennywise is just he's not it's hard to put your finger on it because it is exactly what you were saying last week in terms of with tim curry is very clearly a man dressed as a clown yeah with Skarsgård, he's definitely he like from the get go. The first time you see him in the drain, he's like, right, that is a creature. That is yeah. like something not human. And that, like they get that across in the way that he's shot and the things they do. Like they use CGI to enhance things. Like his eyes light up in a way that they you know they, that isn't natural with the light. Yeah, and things like that. His teeth aren't normal. They're like they're elongated. These long teeth that he they has. Got at the front. Weird like childlike face. Yeah. And he's, but then like you combine that, the visual look of him with everything that Skarsgård's doing in his performance, yeah, which is this combination of, like you say, like childlike, sort of sing-song voice, creepiness, yeah. with then they go full out with the CGI stuff. So again, when they rip George's arm off, like oh, his Jesus. his jaw like dislocates and all yeah. the teeth come out and they show you everything. It's like this is the version where everything is a lot more visceral and a lot more like 
Yeah, but not cutting away. No. Like in the TV in the TV series, they cut away, and then it, it just and then it was George's funeral like that, like ridiculously quickly. Yeah. In this, you see him rip his arm off. Georgie screams and like tries to get Starts away. Starts to slowly crawl and then gets whilst horribly dragged. bleeding and just wailing in yeah. the street. And this is li- you're watching this little boy with his arm missing, and all this blood just coming. It's, and it is really like visceral. And that is like because that is obviously the opening of the movie or the you know, in the first yeah. ten minutes. That is them setting out their stall to say, "This ain't your daddy's it. Basically, yeah. <laughs> this is this this is real. You know, we're doing this." full on we're not, doing this properly yeah we're not fucking about like because it's and that's the thing like in the book again like to, to refer back to it it's so so detailed and it that is, description yeah and it is visceral and it is bloody and disgusting yeah and he doesn't pull away he's not like and it's but, fearful as well because yeah. it explains like how georgie's afraid at that point as well it doesn't yeah. just have him scream and then it cut it explains how afraid georgie is at that point yeah and then, like the film shows that, and it's it's that understanding that makes me love this film so much. Yeah. But then going back to what you were saying about like the design of Pennywise, there's like the points that you when you see like the lines that are in his face. Yeah. Is are the same lines of his mouth opening. Yeah. So the reason that they go from his mouth is because that is his mouth as Pennywise yeah. when he turns into the monstrous version. And it's it's like everything is so well thought out and yeah. so like laid in well. And then we were saying about Bill Skarsgård, for example. Mm. We just watched that section behind the scenes when he was saying about how quickly him and the director clicked. Yeah. And they both like really sort of synergized on the idea. Yeah. And the the way that he does the thing with his lip and the drool and his eye and it's yeah. like so the Andy Muschietti was saying that he wanted his eye to like just pop off in the wrong direction every now and again. Yeah. And Bill Skarsgård was like, oh, well, I can do that. <laughs> and it's like, how does that ever work? Like, Has that at ever what happened? point like, of this we, weird... We, we were going to do it with CGI. We were talking about that. But I found an actor who was able to make one of his eyes go lazy and sort of point off in the wrong direction. Like, I've never seen anyone be able to do that. Yeah. And you happen to cast the one actor who happens to be... Yeah. Like, and this is the third attempt. Like, because I think he was the, actually the... The fourth actor yeah. who was up for it. So first, like we talked about earlier, there was uh, Ben Mendelsohn and there was Will Poulter, but there was also, they actually approached Tim Curry and asked him to come yeah. back. And he turned it down. He said he didn't want to do it again. Well, he's, he's, he's very unwell. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so to, to go through all those different iterations and then end up with that guy and then to have that one specific idea about the art yeah. and then to have the one actor who can do it, is, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and the thing that always gets me about it as well, though, looking at it, is that he was how young he is. Scar's yeah. I always think of him as being like in his sort of mid thirties. But when he played this character, he was twenty six years old. Yeah. Like fuck me, man! Like that's that's intense. And he's such a great actor as yeah. well. He's been, and he's done more Stephen King stuff actually. We watched him in uh, there's a TV show called Castle Rock. Yeah. Um, where he plays an interesting character. That I don't know. I don't want to yeah. give too much away. But if you like any Stephen King stuff, seek out the tv show called castle rock um and we'll leave it at that yeah because it's it is excellent yeah one thing that didn't really sort of stand out to me in this i mean obviously like all the performances are amazing yeah the cinematography is amazing the Mm. set design is incredible but one thing that just at no point other than one song can i recollect any sort of real sort of audio or score to it 
like the one song which is the kid singing like the cowboy song to where he's okay. talking to god but outside of that like, oh yeah like, there's the one nothing that, else that really see, i can think of a couple because there was there was the pit there's a couple of little references that are called to um new kids on the block oh yeah that, that becomes a whole thing between bev and um ben which is really cute and like so there's a point where he, he, she finds a new kid on the block poster on the back of his door yeah and they start playing a little bit of it and you know like, please don't and she just pulls it right that's great i love that way of them getting into the, that's a way of them establishing a like a relationship yeah um but then the other one that i really like is the bit where they all the kids come around to her house and see all the blood and then they get it off and i can't remember what the name of the song is that plays yeah but that is like a classic 80s montage like fixing up the house, <laughs> yeah. and like all the kids fixing up the house, but and it's like really, but up- it's really jarring because it's so yeah, upset. and it's really upbeat. But they're doing this horrific thing, and there's just like buckets and buckets of blood. Yeah, because they really go. That scene is fucking insane. The amount of yeah. blood in that scene. Um, yeah, and it, it's bananas because they explain it in the book and they say that it's like sprayed up the wall, but in this they really go in hard on yeah. it, like everything the ho- the light changes in the room it's yeah. a red light after that yeah and bev is when her dad comes in and is like what's wrong yeah and like he just clearly has no awareness but that's why that's what's so good about it is that when you first watch it it's like this is a bit excessive this is a bit over the top but then it all pays off when he gets that moment when he just goes what blood and you're looking at this set that is drenched in blood and it's yeah. that much more powerful when it's that much more obvious or it should be yeah do you know what i mean um and yeah that combined with like all the hairs coming out of the drain and pulling her head down yeah so fucked up (laughs) so fucked up so well done and And she's great that's another addition as well isn't it so it's but it's it's how that they've picked these additions from yeah the book to the film but done it so successfully again like that there's another example within that scene where she gets her dad's tape measure yeah and pushes it down and that happens in the book yeah, that's exactly, but not at that, not at the same time. No, that's like later on she does it to try and figure out how. But they go, there's a great little moment from the book that said, you know, we know is a little nod to fans of the book. Yeah, that we can put into this scene and will be really effective. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. And again, that's another bit of one of those. That's great adaptation. That's taking a little nugget and moving it to where it fits for you and putting it there. Yeah, and it's like perfect. Yeah, it's fucking bang on. Yeah. Like. And so one of the sort of the parallels that I wanted to draw sort of before we get into anything else is so one of my favourite films of all time and we'll get into this later on in the year when we get to it but is The Shining. Yeah, not even say. But also one of my favourite books of all time is The Shining. Interestingly here is I wouldn't say that it is probably one of my favourite films of all time. Hmm. I would say I really love this film so yeah. much because I've probably watched it a dozen times now and every time I watch it I'm still completely on board I don't think oh fuck me this is long at two and a half hours no it doesn't feel long does but it? it doesn't feel like it because it's always moving But and it's the same with the book like it's one of those things where I have an absolute because it is genuinely one of my favourite books there isn't a, a sort of an omission in there which I'd rather move on from but it's it's f- how that people can interpret that material so well yeah because normally people are like oh I, I, I much prefer the book yeah oh, well the film did it better yeah but and sometimes that is the case yeah but with these two especially like The Shining and It 
they're so dramatically done and done with such flair and elegance and style mm. that it takes what you love from the book and reinterprets it in such a strong visual medium. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. I think it'll be really interesting for us to go back maybe at the end of this year and go through the... Because we would have had... There are three major Stephen King adaptations mm. um, this year. that We've had Pet Cemetery, which we yeah. talked about. We've had It, and then we're also going to get Doctor Sleep. Yes. Um, which is essentially is a sequel to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, of all of them, which is the better adaptation, which is the, you know, how, you know, do you know what I mean? Because like, yeah. Pet Cemetery is a good example where they changed lots from the book. Yeah. They deviated big time from the source material. Some things successfully, some not so successfully. And we did an re- episode on that. If you've got any interest in it, you yeah, can go definitely. back and see it. Um, but this manages to change lots from the book but at the same time still be faithful and it like it has it walks that razor's edge yeah down the middle which is what makes it such a good adaptation and a good book um and a good yeah and a good film yeah i fucking love it it's it's difficult to say like i i there's no way in any way shape or form i will tell people to not see this film like even if you're not a big fan of horror films Go and see this film. It's not really a horror film. No, not really. The horror that really exists in this film is the dread that is around a lot of things. Yeah. So the fact that that Beverly is so afraid when she's at home, mm. well, that yeah, that's Eddie the... is so sort of claustrophobic at home, and it's it's all about how. Well, I wouldn't say it's all about that, but I'd say sort of thematically, it's these children are trying to get freedom, but when they're having that freedom of a summer that children usually have mm. it's taken away by this malevolent presence yeah and it's there's not there's there's a clear parallel and like because of the things they change and the things they do in the, in this interpretation of it they make it even that much more clear in the sort of the metaphors and things that are at play so like when the when in both Beverly's case and in Eddie's case they stand up to their parents yeah and they have that fuck you moment where they stand up for themselves and like and, yeah. and in Beverly's case get physical and in Eddie's case just tell his mum, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore and like and just really you know, shout her down. That and that it coincides with them facing Pennywise and face yeah. it and it is that whole you know, thematic, you know, metaphorical thing of the kids facing adulthood and that's yeah. what the story is all about the coming of age story is that you grow up you stand up to your parents you stand up to, for yourself and become your own person yeah and that is made abundantly clear in this particular version because of the way they've adapted it and because of the sequencing of those scenes yeah around one another it makes it really obvious and that's um, and that, but still fucking perfect yeah and like exactly. in keeping with the characters and keeping with the spirit of what the book is all about mm-hmm. and exactly what it should be um and yeah and that's one of the things that i think um might be a little bit of foreshadowing as well because the way the way that you see what happens next in the books mm. with what happens in both eddie and bev's future yeah yeah and and there are sort of strong parallels at that point when you're like this is good foreshadowing and yes it does come from the book but it is the fact that they've included it mm. so poignantly makes it a lot more special. Yeah. And it makes it stand up a lot more in the film. So if, if it does work out that way in chapter two, which we're going to see next week, I think it'll be really, really effective. Yeah. And like, and like I say, I feel like 
I have every faith in these filmmakers that they've layered this in such a way that they've thought about how they got how this is going to reflect back when they get to chapter two. Yeah, because they knew that it was going. They wanted to make chapter one, chapter two, uh, to the point where at the end of this movie it comes up it chapter one comes up and so and then everyone cheers because they realize it's yeah. gonna be a second part and it's like yeah they knew exactly what they were doing yeah and like again what we saw with like barbara muskethy was saying that yeah we do want to do two but we want to do this first yeah that's how you know in any hollywood thing they like you the theory is you're meant to make one good film yeah and then if that film makes money you can make another film yeah and that's how it usually works sometimes studios announce things way ahead of time <laughs> sometimes they launch entire universes and then don't don't do anything do any with more it. universes sometimes they even create graphics to go at the front of their movies to explain how this is part of the dark universe nothing else is but this is part of the dark this universe is the dark <laughs> universe <laughs> yeah so they, they did the they did it the traditional way i make one really good film and then we'll give you the money to go and make another really yep. good film um, and that's what they've done. Um, so yeah, I think we kind of one thing that we do sh- we should probably mention that we didn't last week was that was Henry and his boys. Henry Bowers. Yes, yes, hundred percent. Because we completely skipped over that last week. Um, so the yeah, like I say, part a lot of the th- themes and stuff that go on within any version of it is that it's the human element of it that is just as scary and you know threatening as yeah. the actual monster itself and that is representing sometimes in the kids parents like particularly with like beverly's dad mm-hmm. but also they have this bully character played by called henry bowers yeah so it's henry bowers belch huggins um victor chris victor chris and patrick hofstetter patrick hofstetter yeah piece of shit fuck patrick hofstetter and like they're all fucking scum. Yeah. Well, okay, so Patrick and Henry in particular are just fucking scum in the yeah. book and in the films. Yeah. Whereas Vic and Belch are yeah. more, as you would expect, just sort of they're, bully sidekicks. Yeah, they're Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah, they're Crab and Goyle. Yeah. Yeah. I get that <laughs> reference now. Hey, he's seen Harry Potter. And, um, Until Goyle got replaced for selling weed to all the extras. Did he? <laughs> so when you get to like the last movie in that series, yeah. suddenly Goyle's gone and there's just some random black guy there yeah. standing behind Malfoy and like, who the fuck is that? It's because Goyle, the actor, got in trouble because he was going around to all the extras dressed in their Hogwarts uniform and selling them weed on set. Really? And so he got fired. Wow. <laughs> Who'd have thought, eh? I love that story. It's the best. Anyway, <laughs> complete tangent. Mm. Um, but yeah, so you got the Henry Bowers thing and he... The, the actor playing him in this does a really good job, to be fair, yeah. because the thing with Henry Bowers is that he essentially loses, goes insane. It, well, he does, yeah. Over the course of the of the summer, of, over the course of the, what is part one here. Yeah. Um, to a point where he becomes like an agent for Pennywise, in a, in yeah. a sense. He's the, he enacts his will uh, because Pennywise just gets in his head. Um, and they re- they play that up in a really interesting way in this through the TV. Yeah. And that was something that I did write down that I wanted to say as well. And it is so cleverly seeded. Like, yeah. When you hear the television sort of in the background talking about, I want to see the clown. Well, the thing that got me was like, because I, I had to rewind it because it was the bit where Beverly comes home. Mm-hmm. 
and she so she's just come home and she's about to have this confrontation with her dad like in the hallway it's only a, it's a small scene but it just sort of sets up her home life but in the background there's this tv show on and it's like a woman sat on like a tra- on a table with a load of kids all around her and she's like some like home like sing-song tv b- yeah, woman matronly television yeah. host and she's saying the sewer is a great place to play with all your friends we love to go to the sewer i'm like did she just is that what she was saying yeah that's weird and then i rewind yeah it is and like no one pays any attention to it but it's just there in the background and you just go what the fuck and then later on that same woman has the thing like is talking directly to henry and saying kill them henry kill them all henry and it's just like oh fuck and again, that's just another great little bit of filmmaking yeah. where it's just like they've seeded that in to like, yeah. and it like plays up on, you know, people's fears of like influence of media on their children and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's got so many layers to it, but it's also like, yeah, if it was 1989, that's exactly how Pennywise would get the kids. Yeah. Isn't it? That's what you do. Yeah. Like, and it also addresses the fact that the adults have no sort of cognizance to it whatsoever. Yeah. 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 They, it's, it's, it's not even that they don't see it. It's just they just have no no awareness. Yeah, and they do that again. In a couple of again, Victor Chris is a great and Victor Chris Henry Bowers is always a really good example of how that plays out. Yeah, in, in both versions actually. So in this version, we have the scene where he pins Ben against the um, against the wall and is about to car- start carving his name into him. Yeah, and a car drives past with some adults in it, and they just look the other way, and you see the balloon in the background. Yeah. That's really cool. But then, like, in the, in the 1990 version, there's a scene where he's, like, him and his guys are, like, abusing uh, Bev outside her house. Yeah. And there's a neighbour across the street looks at her and then looks away. Yeah. And so they, they do it in a couple of occasions. They use Henry Bowers as a way of demonstrating that, is that there, there is this darkness within the people of Derry. Yeah. And not only is there this darkness, there's this... It's coupled with this looking the other way. Yeah. Not wanting to notice. And, so, and they allow it to happen and that yeah. is this continual thing and again that is a a piece from the book that they're able to then put into a real mm-hmm. life situation that relates to one of our characters yeah. and makes it that much more palatable yeah exactly and it's it's the concept that because of all these awful things that happen in Derry it's, it's Derry is evil mm. Derry is the evil Derry is where this stuff happens Derry is why this stuff happens yeah yeah. And you're like, what well, is it that, or is it it? Yeah, it's the influence of him, but then like on a on a massive scale. So we see it like we see it through Henry Bowers as our means through seeing yeah. he's that our prison, our one character, our point of view character to say this is how it can influence yeah people. But in the telling of the other stories, again, this is going into the book. There are stories whereby entire groups of people. Mm-hmm. So there's a story in the book where there are some bank robbers come through town. Yeah. And then suddenly the entire townsfolk of of Derry rise up in arms and just blow them all the way in this yeah. horrible, violent act that is never spoken of ever again and never reported about. And it's like, well, that means, was that it influencing all of them to like partake in this slaughter yeah. of these people rather than just calling the, the authorities, which is what and they should have done. And it's and the, it's like, yeah, because it's the point that these people roll into town, but it's, it tells you from like, the general store owner's perspective and it's like oh a lot more people came in and bought bullets that day yeah everyone knew it was going to happen they were all just preparing for it and it's like this weird like yeah so that's like that's exactly what happened back in the day and then now it's sort of it's reduced into this microcosm of this one kid yeah 
and the influence it can have on him yeah. and and the way he's able to take what it, already that's the thing Henry Bowers is already a disturbed individual to begin yeah. with and then and sort of it's like it preys on that vulnerability and turns him against the people that he wants to turn him against yeah um yeah Henry Bowers is a fucked up character <laughs> yeah and it's it is so clever and when you were saying about like how Henry is sort of portrayed as this sort of almost avatar mm. for the influence of Pennywise and how that extends to somebody else in, well, in, in the book, it definitely doesn't, but I presume that it's going to do so in chapter two as well, mm. which I won't say too much about, but it's, it's interesting how this sort of stuff will carry on yeah, and how they're going to address things in two, seeing some of the changes that they made in this one. Yeah. And I am desperately trying to avoid spoilers here because I don't want to talk too much about the book and I don't want to talk too much about two until we've seen it until we've yeah. seen it because it's there's so many vastly different ways what in fact uh, there's one thing that I am going to talk about which I totally forgot to mention um and no I'm not because you haven't finished the book <laughs> okay so. I'm, I'm really close so the, on, we promise next week we will be in a position where we have seen every version of it and we both would have read the book and we can go completely spoilerific yeah. and talk about every different change there's ever been because at the moment I've got about nine hours left on the audiobook. Yeah. Um, as of last week, I had 26. I, if I'm continuing at the rate that I'm going, I should be able to get it done. Excellent. Um, but Don't let us down. No, I should I should be fine. Um, and then we can get into all the, the, the ins and outs and the minutiae yeah. of it all. Um, One thing I, you did mention before we started recording... Mm-hmm. Is about the jump. The jump in quality. Oh, the, oh my god! <laughs> I think that might be it. Yeah, I think. It, so, looking back at the podcast that we've done, I think this has got to be the biggest jump in quality from one week to the next. Yeah, it's got to be because it's just it's like it's they're chalk and cheese. Like forget like from the very opening, like you realize how much better this is. Oh god, yeah. Um, and if it's like, and if you're doing what we've done, which is essentially, these are the two movies you've watched over the last two weeks, then just to, to see this jump up, and not only you know it's the same source material, some of it is there are some lines of dialogue that are the same, yeah, but it's just this is so much better, and for all the reasons we've said, yeah. over the last however long we've been going, you know the the acting and the cinematography and everything about it, um, this is the definitive version much yeah. as tim curry's great yeah he can't save everything else in that no. version and if you are if, if if someone has to watch one version of it it has to be this it has to be and then hopefully we'll be able to say the same when the second one comes out and go right if you want to know the whole story you gotta watch part one part two yeah and that'll be it yeah and that's the thing like i'm really looking forward to next week where we can sort of really really start breaking everything down mm. because and yeah like i keep banging on about this is genuinely one of my favorite books mm. and there are things that were missed in this and there are things that i presume will probably be missed in two that weren't included in the previous one either and it's like i'm just really curious to see where all of this goes yeah and how it's done because like i say there are so many differences but so many honorable inclusions yeah so I have literally no worries about going to see this film and expecting to really enjoy it. No, that's the thing. I, I, I'm saying now, again, now I'm in a much different position going into two than I was with one. When one came out, I'd had no exposure to it whatsoever. I'd never seen yeah. the 90s version. I never read the book. 
So I, I just watched it as it was as a movie and fucking loved it. And now yeah. going back, revisiting it again, I've, I found so much more in it. And I've mm-hmm. found all those little nuggets and things that are nods to the book readers. And I know that I'm going into two. I'm not expecting it to be a word for word adaptation of no. the second half of the book or the half of the book that deals with them as adults. Yeah. I know they're going to change some things like from the get go, like things are going to be different, but that's fine because I know they do it like they get it. Mm-hmm. They get the point of what this is meant to be. They get the spirit of it and they, and everything fits the characters and the story as it should. Yeah. So crack on. Yeah. Bring it on. Absolutely. And I, think that kind of wraps it up for me yeah i mean um like i say we, we've loved the cut the young cast in this we're hopefully going to see them again by the looks of it they filmed some stuff yeah for the flashbacks that they've kept they've held back mm-hmm. um and then we're also now got the adult cast which yeah. is phenomenal well it's um, an exceptional cast it's a great cast in that and to a point where they even did some they, you know, we watched the video the other day where the kids got to choose who they would want to play yeah. themselves in the later version and a couple of them were dead on so well, kind of, yeah well Beverly chose Jessica Beverly Chastain. Beverly said, I would love it to be Jessica Chastain. That's who they got. Richie chose Bill Hader. Yeah. And those are the two who are up there. And from the sort of early buzz that I've seen about Chapter 2, apparently Bill Hader's like stealing the show. Really? Great as, as Richie. And he would be great as Richie. Yeah. He's perfect for Richie, for Richie Tozier. But also, um, one of the things that I'd say about Bill Hader, that I'm really looking forward to this, is some of the depth that he can do. Yeah. Because a lot of what people see of Bill Hader is like SNL or stuff like um, like Hot Rod, where he's just like a background goofball kind of guy. Mm. There's a show called Barry that I would recommend that people go yeah. and watch, which absolutely nails how fucking great Bill Hader is as an actor. Mm. So I would say go out and seek that. Go and watch that as well as not all of it, just some of it, to get an expectation of where you think Bill's going to go with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, go and watch this immediately if yeah. you've not seen it already. Um, and yeah, like I said, cast are all great. Um, the Old Spice guy. Who's the Old Spice guy? Isaiah Mustafa. Is the Old Spice the guy from the Old Spice advert? Yeah. Look at me. I'm, I'm now on a horse. A horse. Yeah, I know. What, that's that's the guy that's playing the older version of Mike. Oh, is that him? Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah Mustafa. Shit. Okay, I didn't know that. Fair enough. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, okay, that's an interesting one. And obviously, we got we were talking about it earlier. We've got um, James McAvoy playing yeah. the young ver- the older version of Bill, and we're interested because he doesn't necessarily quite fit the look no. potentially. And there are other actors who could potentially have done it you know, fit mm-hmm. the mold better, but it's James McAvoy. Yeah, and that's <laughs> one of the things that I was saying is that, like, again, as you're going through the book, he's called Big Bill. And they explain that he's like a six foot two guy. Mm. Like he's a big tall guy and he's not like, he's not exactly broadly built, but he's definitively like the visual leader. Yeah. He's I the think one that everybody rallies around. And I do think they did a really good job with Bill and it's the, uh, the actor Jaden Martell yeah. who does, who plays him in this. And it's just like confusing thing. Cause he changed his name between movies. Yeah. But Jaden Martell, was, if you looked him up on um, IMDb, that's what his name is now. But he does a great job, I think, because he has that. amazing job. He does do... Because I've always struggled with the character of Bill in that weird dichotomy that he has in terms of being both very, very vulnerable, but then also, like, hero-worshipped by all the rest of them. Yeah. And in this, I think it's partly to do with the script and partly to do with his performance. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And it's in that moment... There's a big moment towards the end of this where he has to make a choice. Mm -hmm. And he... He sells that moment so well. Yeah. 
Um, I don't I won't spoil what it is just in case you haven't seen it, but yeah, you'll know it when you see it. And he, there is also a moment where he sort of makes a speech to everybody about why we have We're to do standing on the steps. Yeah, so. why we have to do this. And the other, and it's something else they've kind of changed from the book in that they make it a lot more about Bill wanting to go find Georgie. Yeah, and that is something that isn't in the book really. No. In the book, in you know, in the book, it's just a case of them just they all. The reason they decide to go after it is because they share their stories. Yeah. And then he then makes the lo- the logical leap that that must be what c- killed Georgie. Yeah. Whereas in this, he's actively seeking Georgie, and like there's that whole scene at the beginning where he's got the um the model of the, the model of the sewers, where he's trying to figure out well, Georgie must be in the Barrens. That must be where he is. And it gives an explanation as to why they would be in the Barrens. Yeah. See, that is another one of those things where it's a change from the book, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It fits Bill as a character because Bill is a com- such a compassionate person who cares about mm-hmm. his brother and cares about everybody. It makes sense that he would want to do that, and that's yeah. what he would want to do. But then it also means that yeah, he, he has this element of guilt in there where it's like, well, I'm I'm getting you all got you guys all into this, and it's not your brother, it's my brother. And do you yeah. know what I mean? but then at the same time, when he gets frustrated, if you say it's fucking summer one more time, <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's the thing, and it's it's the way again going back to the writing, like the presence that that Jaden has on screen as the de facto leader you just buy into it immediately yeah. because he is the taller kid he's the one that is willful and will he's like well I'm going to do this anyway it's going to take he, me he's half like, I don't care if I'm doing this on my no, own it's, I'm it's, doing it it's an amazing diff- it must be such a difficult thing to do because it's the stutter would usually preclude you from being the small run guy who no yeah. one listens to but the fact that he is able to have the stutter and does the stutter really well, but also command everyone's respect yeah. and all that. But because everyone stops as soon yeah. as he starts talking, the fact that he's stuttering as well, yeah. and the fact that one of the first things that he does is stands up to Henry, yeah, one of the first things that you properly see him do because he's quite quiet at that point, yeah. And then Henry bashes into um, Eddie, I think. I think it's Eddie, yeah. yeah. And then and Patrick steals um, the yarmulke off of Stanley and yeah. throws it into a school bus. And like all of these things happen, but Bill's the guy that Bill's stands the guy up stand. first, yeah, a fair first point. thing. And again, that's another one of those things where it happens really early on, but it gives you a clear understanding of where everyone's role in the group is. Mm. And it's just fucking so well written. I love this film. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. But yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we should probably wrap it up because we've gone over an hour. Yeah, no, we wrapped it up about ten minutes ago, but then we just kept going. We got excited again, didn't um, we? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm the glad only... they didn't include Hio Silver away. He did say it. Did he? Yeah. You hear it? It's like a little nod to the book. He says it um, as Ben is sat in the library, and you see all the kids ride past on their bikes. Mm. You can just faintly hear it through the window. Oh, uh, okay. You hear Hi-O Silver away. Just like, you barely hear it, but it is there. Oh, uh, okay, cool. Um, So, yeah. I know what you mean, though, because it is, like, really corny and stupid. It's really annoying in the book. Yeah, it is. Well, no, it's really annoying in the audio book. No, but no it's, well, it's, and it's annoying in the 90s version. Like, it's the most ridiculous thing. Like, there was one yeah. point in the 90s version. It's so forced. He just, he just shouts it, and there's, like, two adults just walking past, like, just look at him. Like, what the fuck is wrong with that kid? Like, even, the, even in 1958, that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, th- and that's the thing. Yeah, oh, let's get into it another time. We've we're at an hour and five minutes. So yeah. Anyway, so uh, Sophie Lillis is great as well. She plays Beth. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. Fuck yeah, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Like there are times when I think feel like she's that a lot older than all the rest of them. Yeah. But then 
there are other times when it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like, it's one of those weird things we were talking about earlier with like just kids and just like that, aren't they? Well, that's the thing with like adolescence, yeah. isn't it? But when it, people I think hit sort of puberty and part of it is that first scene that she has with Ben, the way she talks to him is like she's talking down to him and like, yeah. oh, stay cool, man. It's, it's like she's the older like high school girl talking down yeah. to a middle school kid. But then when she's in amongst all of them, she feels like she's She's like right. a quiet voice. Yeah. But she's like, when they're all stood together as well, they all like, yeah, they're all the same age. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah. But like, when it's her and Ben in particular seem kind of at odds with one another. So that's a weird one. Yeah. Anyway, wrap it up. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> let's wrap this up. So um, you can find us on all the socials on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So mm-hmm. we're at the Omcast on there. Uh, we're at theomcastpod at gmail.com if you want to sort yep. of either send in some suggestions for us, if you want to share your opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you can do is you can vote for whether you prefer this one or the 99 miniseries. Mm-hmm. If you like the miniseries, go on to iTunes, um, put in five stars on the on there and let us know why you think it's better. If you prefer this one, go on to review us via the Apple Podcasts and uh, give us five stars on there and then tell us in there as well because um, we'll be able to tell and it's um, it's just the only way to vote on this sort of stuff. Yeah. So uh, we would do social media but there's no point in voting on social media is there? No. Just It's only on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. But yeah, so next week we're going to go and see It Chapter 2. Yeah. Which is going to sort of culminate this grand rewatch and then we'll let you know how we go from there. I think we're doing Rambo. Fuck, we're doing Rambo. We are, aren't we? You're really excited about that, aren't you? Yep. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, guys. Um, yeah. That's kind of it, really. That's thanks. Kind of it. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, you can find us everywhere else. Drop us a message. Do us a review. We're going to watch Rambo at some point, but next week is going to be it, Chaps 2. Don't you want a balloon? <laughs> pop, 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 pop. With the popcorn. Pop, 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 pop. Fucking weird, wasn't it? Mm. Anyway, see you next week. See ya. Bye, readers. Bye. And that's the thing. I I did I used to have to explain to people that it's not a problem. <laughs> no, he's not going to ask to watch much. <laughs> often. That often. Sometimes he might. <laughs> Oh, fucking hell. <laughs>